Hey Fireside, how are you guys doing? Um, we are back online and so I'm just thankful that you are watching on our YouTube channel or you are listening on one of our podcasts, either Spotify, Apple, or even on our website. And so just to want to give you guys a quick update is that uh, tonight, if you're watching live, uh, we are not going to have a baptism because there's a hurricane coming. It's probably the absolute worst time to do a baptism in the ocean with a hurricane. And we were supposed to have some baby dedications as well, but we we're unable to do those because of the rain. We're shifting to inside and it's getting complicated. But we are getting ready to relaunch a lot of things. And I know that there's still a lot of unknowns with COVID and meeting, all that. But we want to get into rhythms and be able to sustain whatever uh, this world brings our way in terms of COVID or whatnot. And so, but the next two weeks, uh, we are going to have what we're calling is Fireside Sabbath. And we're going to take the next two Sundays off from our gatherings, um, just a time to rest. Um, those who are, uh, you know, we have so many people that help on Sunday mornings, um, loading things in and out, and we just want to rest. And um, my hope is that you will rest as you're preparing for school, for those who are going back to school or have kids in school, um, preparing for seasons change. Um, we just want you to all be um, rested, that God has called us to, to rest and take time to do that. And, uh, make, you know, spend some time with the Lord. Uh, take that hour that you would do to go to one of our gatherings and just like go in nature, take a walk and just say, Lord, what do you have for me? Um, speak to me. And so that's my challenge. But we're in a series called Called. And uh, what we're doing is we're looking at people in the Bible, that moment that they decided to follow Jesus, that moment that Jesus either intervened in miraculous ways or they came to a point where I want to follow Jesus. And we started this five weeks ago when we talked about Saul going from Saul, the tyrant who was going around persecuting and killing Christians to those going around and proclaiming Jesus and planting churches. And so uh, we're going to go full circle because now we're going to talk about Paul and a moment this jailer came to follow Jesus as we prepare for baptisms. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And this is going to maybe a little bit longer than our live in-person gathering because our live in-person gathering, we're going to be battling kids and all that stuff. And so we just have a little bit of freedom online. So here we go. Let's go. So let's dive into it. So Acts chapter 6. And uh, this is where Paul, you know, we just talked about him. He is now planting churches. And so he's with a guy named Silas, Paul and Silas. And we'll pick up in verse 16. It's a little lengthy, but bear with me. It's a really good story. Acts 16. Once when we were going, this is Paul, Silas, and, and most likely Luke, because Luke is the one who writes Acts, so he's we. One, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And, and I don't know why uh, uh, the enemy would proclaim that these are the men um, trying to be saved. And, and I'm still trying to figure out why. But what it did do is it did launch um, a movement of them going to jail. So maybe the, the enemy knew, like, hey, if I start stirring things up. So we're not exactly sure. But 
She kept this up for many days. And finally, finally, Paul becomes so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her and her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs and law for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, so high, high maximum security, and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that this story would influence how we live that we would have the power to stay to save. <laughs> Lord, that we would think bigger, that it's not just about us, Lord, but it's about you. And it's about others coming to know you. Would you use us, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. If you're watching the news, like many of us, all our eyes are on Afghanistan and what's going on as the Taliban has just completely taken over the whole country. And we sent out a link to an interview that Jenny Allen, who was the leader of the If Gathering, this woman's organization, uh, had with a, a pastor in Afghanistan who was planting churches and encouraging believers in the Middle East that they don't give his name, his voice is altered, and his face is blurred because he's in there and he doesn't want to um, be outed. So the Taliban or whoever else... Um, in, in Iran or Iraq, whoever it may be, come after them. So they call them Pastor X. And then there's another guy who helps lead another organization that does the same thing, encourage uh, believers in the Middle East. And if you've heard an interview back in February with Pastor X, he talks about this crazy story about what God is doing in the Middle East. And he talks about that Afghanistan is the second fastest growing church in the world. 
I mean, they started very minimally, but their growth percentage-wise is growing faster than anywhere else. As here in the United States, the church is actually declining. And he says this one story that I've mentioned before, but it's just so powerful, is that he meets this one Muslim, and the Muslim says that every morning, a guy in all white comes to his house and tells him to get a paper and pen and tells him to write this down. And so the pastor X says, well, what have you written down? And he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the, and, and the word the word was God, and God is a word, and it was first John, and he had written the whole gospel of John from this man, and just completely, you know, crazy stuff, and I've, I've spent a lot of time in Africa, where the majority of the, um, some of the villages that we've been in have been Muslim, and hearing stories of, of uh, people who've Jesus, have met Jesus in dreams, and have completely changed their, their life because of a dream, even in the midst of of turmoil that if you are a Muslim that's converted then you get excommunicated from your family and from your community but they're willing to do that because of Jesus and it's just crazy crazy stuff and I could tell you story after story of people I've encountered like that but in Afghanistan and this one in particular interview what stood out to me was the story that he said of a doctor a doctor who's a believer and he decided to stay and the reason why he decided to stay was that he thought that he could influence the Taliban for Jesus Christ. He had not yet publicly been outed as a believer, so he wasn't threatened they, because they have a hit list. And so he's not on that list just yet. So he had an opportunity, especially as a doctor, to leave the country, to flee and to run. But he decided that I want to stay to save. And who knows? what the rest of his story will be like. But in this story, we have Paul and Silas who were also freed from jail, but they too decided to stay to be saved. So let's talk about what's going on here. We're going to land the plane with the jailer being baptized because again, we were going to have a baptism, um, but we canceled it. But it made me think about, you know, what is baptism? And we're going to talk a lot about that. And I think it's so cool that we are in this series called Called about this moment. We keep saying that the moment, there's a, a moment where one decides to follow Jesus. But transformation is a process. And what we are landing the plane with in that moment, when one decides to follow Jesus, baptism should accompany that moment. This is what I've learned in, um, I would say, months and months and months of looking at baptism, especially over the last couple of weeks. So here we are, Paul and Silas, and they're on their way to prayer. They're going to pray. They're living a good Christian life. Uh, for, for many of you, maybe you're on your way to a Bible study. You're on your way to a church gathering. You're on your way, and they get interrupted. They get inconvenienced because this little girl who's demon-possessed is annoying them, chasing them, screaming, shouting at them. And I love that Paul gets annoyed, turns away, and, is, and out of rage, he says, get out! Out of here, get out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And this sets this whole thing into motion where they get imprisoned. I wonder how many of us feel like we get inconvenienced by things that are broken, things in this world that need to be addressed. And we think, just let me live my little Christian life. Let me just go to a church gathering. Let me just go to Bible study. God, I'm doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, we get disrupted by a need, like, oh, I don't have time for this, I'm late for Bible study. And we get annoyed. 
And I think that we have, we are looking at things the wrong way. Last uh, time I preached, I talked about when you ask God to move, start stretching. Meaning when you ask God to move, often God is going to use you and have you move to get to what he wants. He loves to use us. And so when you're praying, start stretching because God wants to use us. And here's an example of that. And they get thrown into jail. They get beaten and flogged. Possibly this jailer is the one who's doing some of these things. And they get sent to maximum prison, the inner cell, where they are guarded and putting into stocks. And they didn't do anything to deserve this. If you've ever been in a position where you just felt like, why am I here? Why did this happen to my life? Whatever circumstance that you are dealing with that is a suffering, painful circumstance, many of us will shout to God, God, I don't deserve this. I was doing the right things. I was going to the right places. I was praying. I was opening my Bible up and, and reading the word. I was going to church on Sunday morning. I was helping this. And this is what you repay me with? I don't deserve this. And yet their response is the opposite. See, I do think this. I think, and I mentioned this before, but this is kind of what's been tugging on my heart, is that we will be greatly disappointed if we think that God is saving us for our happiness. That it, because it becomes all about us. Like, God is, this is what I need, this is what I need you to do, this is what I want, this is where I need help, and, and so forth. And we've talked a ton about this, that if we view blessings as things that are owed to us, we're going to be greatly disappointed because some of these blessings that we think are owed to us may never happen because God's seen a bigger picture. But if we look at blessings as gifts, they'll be much more appreciated. Spouses, family, jobs, money, houses, these are all gifts. You're not owed any of these things. And then midnight comes. Midnight. And they're not sleeping. Their feet are in stocks. Their backs have been severely flogged they're in a lot of pain their wounds get cleaned up later so they're probably dripping in blood talk about uncomfortable it's midnight so they're not sleeping and they're not complaining they are praying and praising <laughs> about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing praises to god and the other prisoners were listening I think one of the most powerful things believers can do is how they respond to adversity. Our response is powerful. Not that the hospital is prison, but sometimes it felt like that. And we spent months and months and months in the prison, <laughs> sorry, in the hospital with Ellie. And I remember thinking while we we're in the hospital, God, why have you positioned us here? And you have a choice. You can complain or you can praise. Because people are watching. And so Kate and I said, you know what? We are going to do the best we can in this painful position to praise God. And I would like to say that we did a perfect job of that, but there were times where there were many complaints. We ran into a lot of families who just 
all I had is negative things to say and you would hear nurses talk about certain families that are just so disgruntled and we said we don't want to be those we want to be a light in a dark place and your response is sometimes the most powerful thing that you can do so am I looking at this something stick out to me in this particular thing you know you know, they're praying and then all of a sudden an earthquake comes. This is pretty miraculous. And their chains are freed and the gates to the prison are free. And you're thinking, hallelujah, God has heard my prayer. Let's get out of here. God has freed us. But that's not how this story goes, right? You know, Peter was in prison earlier and an angel wakes him up and says, psst, Peter, come and, and he kind of sneaks out. And so sometimes God will free him. But in this partition, they don't go anywhere. They stay. And, and I have two questions. One, why didn't they run? And two, what were they praying for or praying about? Because obviously, if they were praying to be freed and the uh, earthquake come, they're out of there. God, you've answered our prayer. We are free. Let's get out of there. Which means we believe maybe they weren't praying for them to be saved. Maybe they were praying for them to be saved. For the jailers, for the prisoners to be saved. I'm thinking, how does anyone do that? They were just beating them and flogging them and putting them in chains uh, for, for no reason. They undeserve. But it's not about them. They had a bigger See, we look at it in the movies, right? <laughs> if you watch any action movie, when there's a huge rescue, at the very end, whatever they rescued from, the, the prison, the bad guy's base or whatnot, and in Star Wars, the Death Star pff, explodes, and everybody in it, guess what? Dies and explodes, and then the heroes come out in slow motion, you know, and the, and the fire's behind them and whatever they're, they're doing. And this is kind of how we picture Like, Wouldn't this be a good story? You know, Paul and Silas, earthquake comes, and Paul and Silas in slow motion with all the prisoners walk out, and as the jail's crumbling and... The jailers are like stabbing themselves because they've done their job bad. And we think we'd all applaud and cheer. Like, well, they deserve that. And Paul and Silas don't deserve death. They deserve to live. And we've gotten it all messed up. And this is what the upside down kingdom is. Because God came, flipped everything upside down. That, you know, um, I, I was thinking about Star Wars and thinking about stormtroopers and how they often get killed and all that stuff. And I was thinking, in this situation, God loves the stormtrooper. God loved the jailer. The jailer is a big part in this story. <laughs> and they stay to save. See, maybe for those who have accepted Jesus and have, been, have accepted salvation, you're saved. Maybe your deliverance is more about is more than just about you. My, my dad um, passed away seven years ago, but my, my dad came to Jesus uh, later in life, in his first year of college. He grew up in a home where his mom, my grandmother, was an alcoholic, and baseball was his jam. He was obsessed with baseball, and he, and he goes to Umaine to get as far away from his family as he can, but he wasn't a believer, and God intervenes in his life, and he becomes all out for Jesus. And what he does is he goes home and he brings his dad to this conference called Urbana and then his dad becomes a believer. 
and his 16-year-old brother, my uncle, he becomes a believer. And then his mom, my grandmother, wanted nothing to do with it. It, it, she actually divorced my grandfather and you think oh that's such an awful story but see that's not the end of it because when my dad met my mom and my mom was a pastor's kid believer her whole life they get married and his dad my grandfather his mom my grandmother come they reunite and, and during that time she came to Christ and my grandfather and my grandmother elope get remarried and spend the rest of their lives together so my dad gets saved, and through that, my uncle, my grandfather, and my grandmother all come to the Lord. And, and on next weekend, I am flying to Montana to officiate the wedding of my cousin, my uncle's daughter. And they've asked for me to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus. And it all stems from my dad accepting faith because his deliverance was more just about him that God saved them to save others. It's not just about you. See, Paul got this. <laughs> Paul got this. Because he, he saw the earthquakes come. He's like, God, I know you can do whatever, but you know what? Maybe you're using me to, to preach to this jailer. And the, the most powerful thing that I can do to save him is to stay. This is what Paul says in Philippians. This is a letter he wrote to the church in a city called Philippi. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, I want the church to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and he's writing this while he's in jail, another jail. He's writing this letter while he's in jail. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's saying, the guards and the prisoners know that I'm in chains for Jesus. They know about Jesus. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The other people, believers outside of the prison walls, are seeing them proclaiming Jesus in the prison walls, which makes them want to preach Jesus outside of the prison walls. And so Jesus is being proclaimed because he's in jail. Because it's not about him. I've been thinking about this passage. When he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And please understand that I don't want any ill will to anybody. And, and my hope is that God delivers you from the tests and the trials of this broken world. But as we all know that we all do go through different tests and trials. And for us, the biggest one was Ellie and our oldest daughter who fought four years of cancer and passed away in February. And what I'm convicted is, could I, could I say this, that what has happened to us has actually served to advance the gospel. Whew, this is something that I kind of been praying that I, that, that I could say boldly. Because by saying that, it's, what it's saying is it's not about me. Like, that could it be that our situation and Ellie going to be with our father, a joyous occasion, saved the lives of many people? 
that God chose to end Ellie's temporary life on this world to save the lives of many people forever. And I'll say this, this is what gets me through. <laughs> this perspective, this, what, this was what changes how I view things, that when I feel down about Ellie, and, and man, I miss her, that's it. Could this actually have been served to advance the gospel? Paul goes on in verse 20, and, and he says this, For I truly expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as, have I, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So, so I really don't know which is better. <laughs> I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. I mean, this debate that Paul's having with himself is ludicrous. <laughs> What's better, if I die or if I live? And he's not talking like he's depressed or suicidal. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, if I die, I get to be with Christ. You know, he, he writes in another letter that he saw Christ, that he actually visited heaven. So he, he knows what's, he had this little glimpse. He's encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus. He knows that if he were to die, it would be far better for him personally to be with Jesus in the arms. And people say, no, 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 it's not better to be dead than alive. No, 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 no. But he said, of course it is. But then he says, but, but for me to live is not better for me. For me to live is better for you. <laughs> because then I can continue to proclaim the good news into Jesus. And he's torn between the two. I don't know if I want to die and be with Jesus or I want to live and tell you about Jesus. I don't know which one is better. But because it's not about him, he's saying, well, it must be better for me to live so I can continue to preach the gospel. That is such an upside-down way of thinking. So here they are, flogged, in prison, chains, miraculous come off, big earthquake, and they stay to save. And he goes and he preaches the gospel to the jailer. And the jailer and his whole household, his servants, maybe his kids, his spouse, maybe his parents, other who knows, they all listen to Jesus. And in that hour, in that hour, they all come to Jesus. And immediately, the scripture says, immediately he and his whole household were baptized. We're talking 1, 2 a.m., <laughs> They didn't wait, and we're going to gather everyone, we're going to have this big ceremony. No. Boom! They were baptized. Actually, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, there's ten times that baptism, every time we see baptism, is a response to a decision to follow Jesus. It's the moment that I'm going to dissolve you that puts in a motion of transformation. Now, if you're like me, you probably grew up with another thinking of how what baptism was. And, 
And, and, and I want to talk a little bit about this. And th this may be a little bit longer online than it is in person just because of the kid factor. And, and I want to take a deep dive because I've been taking a deep dive and like, what in the world is baptism? Why do we do it? When do we do it? Because you have baptism of infants. You have people who are sprinkled. Baptism when, when they go through a bunch of classes. And so the way I grew up was that baptism was for adults uh, who made decisions. And then they would go into these classes and they would learn about what it means to follow Jesus and all that. And it was almost as if in order to be baptized, you had to prove that you believed in Jesus. And that was uh, uh, by, by what you believe, what you said you believed, and all the doctrine and theology and how you lived your life. I remember a couple years ago visiting my in-laws, uh, Kate's uh, mom and dad, and her mom had a better dishwasher than we had. So I, I, our dishwasher wasn't the best, and so I would clean all the dishes like really well, the best that I could, and then put them in a dishwasher that would kind of rinse them and, and clean them and finalize them. And so when I'm with her mom, she's taking these dirty dishes and, and not even really cleaning them and just putting them in as is. And I'm like, what are you doing? And, and I remember saying, you're not gonna rinse that off. She's like, why would I do the work that the dishwasher is doing? The, the point of having a dishwasher is that <laughs> it cleans the dishes. And so I grew up in, in, in a tradition that's like, you, you need to do the best that you can to get yourself clean. And then you get baptized as a symbol of God cleaning you to kind of wipe off the rest of the sin in your life. And I just don't see that in scripture. I see it's like you come before God and you come in your filth and in your sin. And, and there's no like debate. There's no of a, uh, I got to prove myself that you're just coming before. Like, no, I believe Jesus that you have come and saved me from my sin. And I want to physically display that by the act of going in the water and coming out. Going, my, my old self is dead and I am a new creation. You have washed my sin away. Because baptism means immerse. And there's different baptisms in the Bible. And, and what we like to do is like kind of lump them all into one and kind of form our own theology. Like, well, this is baptism from the, but, but, but that's not really it. And so, uh, and I know this because in Acts 19, all right, I'm going to read Acts 19 and verse 3. And he said to them, this is what Paul said to them. And did, what were you baptized? Because they were complaining. Well, we haven't received the Holy Spirit. Like, our life hasn't really even changed. We're not doing anything. We're just kind of, meh. You know, so into what were you baptized? So they said, well, into John's baptism. John the Baptist's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is, on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized again. Because John the Baptist was a different baptism than what we do today. So John preached a baptism of a repentance of your sins. I want you to come because... Uh, Jesus is coming. The one after me is coming. And prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for that one. Turn your way from your wrongdoing. That was the baptism of John the Baptist. But, but today, we're not baptizing a repentance of sin. We're baptizing into Jesus Christ for what he did for our sin. So I just want to kind of go through some of the things that I've been learning is that there's about nine different baptisms in the Bible. One, they refer to the Old Testament. 
This is what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, chapters 1 through 4. Moreover, brother, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what he's saying is that baptism was this idea of going from being enslaved to free. And, and, and that process, they went from being slaves from Egypt and they walked through the water, the Red Sea that was parted to freedom on their way to the promised land through the water, immersed into water, and hence were baptized. Baptism is being, I was once uh, a slave to sin and now I'm free. I was once dead and now I'm alive. That is what baptism is. And then we have John the Baptist baptism who came, who's a cousin of Jesus. And we just talked about that. It was a baptism of repentance of sin. Turn your way. The word repent means to change your mind. Just to turn. That's really what it means. And, and so we like to think of repent as this awful word. You people standing with signs and repent, repent, and, you know, like, or burn in hell. And, and, you know, repent is just change your mind. And there's a bunch of scriptures in the verse that use repent in a wholly, totally different context. It's just like, turn your way. You know, turn your, you could turn your mind, change your mind about who God is. You can change your mind about sin. You can change your mind about what team you like, whether it's the Patriots or the Dolphins, whoever it may be. Change your mind. And then, and then we see in Luke 12, Jesus says this, I have a baptism. Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. That he's talking about the baptism of suffering that he's going to be washed with blood, <laughs> that he is going to die on the cross and come alive again. And he's talking about his baptism of suffering. And then there is this weird baptism of the dead that we find in 1 Corinthians. And you've probably never heard of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Paul says. And, and I just want to set this up. That in this uh, uh, part of the, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul is affirming and talking to them about the resurrection, that the resurrection is real, that, that when we die, that's not the end, that we will be resurrected in our new bodies with Jesus. And, he, and he's trying to proclaim this and try to reiterate this that they already knew and reminding them of this. And so he says this, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? Hmm. If the dead are not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 29. And so doing my research, this is what this means, is that they believe that you needed to be baptized in order to be saved. So if someone were to die and were not baptized, they would lay the body on a bed and someone would go underneath the bed and they would say, well, do you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins? And the person underneath would, would say yes and speak for the, for the dead body. And then they would pour water on the body and or the person would come up and receive the water and would be baptized for the dead. And what Paul is saying in this is like the reason you do that is because you believe in resurrection and he's just trying to make a point. So he's not affirming that practice, but he is affirming why they do it because they believe in resurrection. So that's kind of what's going on here. But needless to say, it's another kind of baptism thing that was thrown out there in the New Testament. And then we have the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. Mark 1, 8. This is what John the Baptist says. I indeed baptize you with water, 
but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we find this in Acts as well, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and we could talk all day about what that means and the different debates. But basically, it's saying the Holy Spirit will immerse you, that we are God's temple, that the Holy Spirit will come in your life. It, it will immerse you. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are baptized because it has immersed us. And we are now the temple. Um, uh, our bodies are the temple. And, and so there's the baptism of that. And then there is the baptism of Jesus in the name of Jesus. And, th and this is the baptism that we do today. And we find this throughout all the letters and in Acts. And I just want to give you some verses in Galatians chapter 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. So all those who are baptized, their former, who they were, it doesn't matter. They are all now united because they are all one. Because, you know, just like today, we like to be identified by our ethnicity or our culture. We say, yeah, I'm this, I'm that. And a Christian. It's like, no, 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 no. You are a son and a daughter of Christ. You've been baptized through faith in Jesus Christ. Into Christ you've been baptized. Now you are a believer. Acts 10, 38. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 2, 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. So change your way. And in this context, what I believe is happening, he said, not repent from your sin. That's not what he says. He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is change your mind about who you think God is uh, a lot of scholars say you can just substitute repent and believe in many cases. So you can say believe and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Change your mind of who God is and be baptized in Jesus Christ for he, the remission of your sin, for he has taken away your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we see people who've gotten the Holy Spirit and then we're baptized after. And what we do, and we love to do this as organizations, we like to formalize faith. <laughs> And this is why we have so many different denominations and different kind of sects of religion. It's like, because we all come up with different formulas. And people are like, well, you need to, if you get baptized, then you have the Holy Spirit. Or, or you can't be, you have to, being saved and baptism go together. And that's so wrong, because we read the scripture when it says, for all who believe, even baptized, are saved. And those who don't believe are condemned. We say, well, you need to be saved and, or you need to be baptized in order to be saved. And that's not what he's saying. It's because it was assumed that if you believe, baptism follows in, in, in the same moment of your belief. So he said, even those who are believe, when you believe, even baptized, are saved. But he doesn't say those who aren't baptized are condemned. He just says those who don't believe are condemned. And so we really need to be careful and really look at the big picture of Scripture so it's my conclusion that it's this, that when you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and, and like the jailer, you don't have time to prove that faith by your actions. I mean, he was just like, uh, uh, had them in prison for their faith just an hour or two ago, and now he's completely changed his mind about God. He's repented and is immersed in water as a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. And so this is my hope for us, is that we would not doubt people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Like, well, do you really? Because I know, I know your life. Because we know that 
there's no matter of, of our own doing that we will ever be sinless. Because, you know, Paul says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's perfect except for Jesus. So we're all going to sin. So if you're going to wait to be perfect, to be baptized, well, you will never be baptized. What baptism is, is saying that I am not perfect, but he is. And because he is, he has taken my imperfections, my sin, that I may be with him for eternity. There's a lot of things in this world that I disagree with. There's a lot of people who are doing things, living different ways that I disagree with. And for me, in relationships, maybe God, as brothers and sisters, we're going to come to call and help people surrender certain things in their life. And that's a process. When you get married and you say, I do, you don't become the perfect husband and wife right away. I've met people who've been married for 50 years and I look at them and I'm like, how do you do this? And it's like, well, it took a long time for us to get to this position. But when you say I do, when you say I want to follow Jesus, the ceremony, the symbol, the physical symbol is being baptized. And that launches emotion, everything into motion of transformation that happens. And would you be willing to say, God, I'm going to work on surrendering this. Help me. Have the Holy Spirit because you can't do it on yourself. Help me unfollow this as we talked about a couple weeks ago. See, if the jailer was baptized by his profession without any proof, then what's stopping you? And so if you're listening to this and you're saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God that died on the cross and has cleansed me of my sins that I may be in eternity with him by his death and his resurrection, then you should get baptized. <laughs> That, that's it. And, and then, then stay, then you're part of the community that can help form and transform you to live a life for Jesus that we're all on this journey. We're all trying to figure out. If we say this Bible is going to be my handbook and I'm going to follow, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that I can with the help of the Holy Spirit to, to do what God wants me to do. And instead of hoping for people's destruction, what if we were to pray for people's salvation? And, and I think that this is at the crutch of it. That what we see with Paul here is that he could have hoped and prayed for the destruction of the jailer, but instead he prayed and stayed for his salvation. And when we look at the broken world, we could say, oh, I hope they all are destroyed. Or we could say, oh, God, I hope they all are saved. <laughs> and what God did in your life, could that propel you to help Proclaim that same news that transformed you, maybe to transform someone. Could God have saved you in order to save others? Maybe you were saved to save others. I think that's, God's saying, no, you're saved. It's not just about you. That you, you are now a part of this movement of building God's kingdom. You become ambassadors of Christ. You become co-workers with the church to build the church, the people of Christ, that you are saved not just to get you a free out of jail card, but for you to preach to the jailer. And could we say, could we say, and when we get in those positions, could we say, that this has actually helped to serve to advance the gospel because that's the most important thing in the world is that Jesus is preached and proclaimed. It's not just about me. My saving, I get to be with God for eternity, but my living is better 
because I get to preach to you. Like, could we have that point of view that Paul had? So that's it. So we're going to have a baptism in September. My, my hope and my prayer is that if you said, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, and, and I want you just, if, and you're willing to say, you know, I'm gonna, I want to follow him and, and start the motion of transformation, well, then let's baptize you as a symbol of that decision. Not as a capstone of you've proved that, oh, I believe. No, no, no. If, if you profess, then I think you should be baptized. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done. Would you stir our hearts, Lord, to help pray, not just for, not for destruction, but for salvation. As we look at what's going on in Afghanistan, Lord, would you, would you take the leaders of the Taliban, Lord, and would you encounter them in their dreams, Jesus? Would you, would you just transform them and let them know that they're a child of God? These ruthless, horrible people, Lord. We know that you have the power to do that. And would you put boots on the ground, believers there who are already saved, who have stayed to save and we pray for them, we pray for their boldness, that this has happened to serve and advance your gospel and your message. And it's in your name we pray, amen. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Um, God bless, have a great day.